the Blaze Radio Network. On Demand. 2017 is going to be a volatile economic year. We may see politicians throughout the world attempting to control central bank policies. Several renowned financial analysts have warned that political interference in central bank policies may mean our economic misses of inflation and growth targets. Gold is an international currency that can't be issued or controlled by governments. If you don't have the only hard currency that has outlasted every politician and every failed idea of governments for centuries, you need to speak to Goldline right now and learn how easy it is to add gold to your portfolio or IRA. Now is the time to diversify your financial portfolio by adding gold. Call 1-800-913-GOLD. Buying real gold is easy and fast at Goldline. And you're going to be happy that you finally made the call. 1-800-913-4653. Goldline also offers price protection against short-term market fluctuations on qualifying purchases. So buy with confidence. Read Goldline's important risk information and find out if buying gold is right for you. Call Goldline. 1-800-913-4653. 653. Prepare yourself to ingest current events, pop culture, and politics with a side of Latin flair. Vices. I don't have to show you any stinking vices. This is the Chris Salcedo Show on the Blaze Radio Network. Doing more good for the country in two hours than President Obama did his entire occupation of the Oval Office. It's the Chris Salcedo Show, and I'm glad you've tuned in, everybody, one and all. Telephone number is 888-933-93, 888 we even get started on all the other stuff, are you freaked out? Do you think we're going to war? Do you think that, that, that Trump calling in every senator, both parties, into the White House, it wasn't Trump that actually, it's Mitch McConnell who did it, but are you, are you concerned we may be going to war. I want to hear from you if you are. If you're not, well, just sit and listen to the program. Again, the telephone number you want to call in is 888-900-3393. Catching this show live is easy to do. You can go to theblaze.com slash radio. You can go to not one, but two smartphone apps, the Blaze Radio smartphone app or the iHeartRadio app. I recommend the revamped Blaze Radio smartphone app. It is just, it is stunning. It works really well. And um, there's a whole backstory to that. Maybe one day I'll tell it to you guys on the air because I, I learned some stuff yesterday about the history of the Blaze Radio smartphone app and what it took to get that puppy going. SoundCloud, iTunes, and Stitcher, those are on-demand listening venues for you. So say you can't listen to the Salcedo Show, you can't listen to Doc, you can't listen to Opelka Live. Well, that's, a, that's all right. You take us with you um, on your schedule via SoundCloud, iTunes, and Stitcher and binge listening at your leisure. Uh, uh, you can check out social media for the Salcedo Show as well. Go to Facebook, The Chris Salcedo Show. That's The Chris Salcedo Show. Twitter, at Chris Salcedo TX. And on theblaze.com, you can go to the channels section. And on the channel section, make sure you find uh, my mug. It will be the one that you go, oh, golly! Oh, the Salcedo, Cal follow. I guess he sounds decent on the radio, but... <laughs> anyway, click on that and... Um, and Follow our submissions. And again, a hat tip to the, uh, what did we have? Three submissions yesterday, Ellie? We had three submissions uh, from the show that was up at theblaze.com. So all the all the folks at, uh, at as we call them here, shorthand.com, at theblaze.com, they're doing extra great work for us, and we really appreciate it. And um, 
yeah, and Ellie's over there nodding. Yes, yes, we do. We appreciate that. You can, uh, yes, you know, it's we appreciate it a lot. Yeah, see, they they can't see you nodding. And <laughs> very nice. Okay, so we'll we'll get to national security concerns because this meeting that's meeting that's coming up tomorrow between Trump and the Senate inside of the White House gives me an opening to talk about things I haven't been able to talk about over the last couple of weeks because there's been so much of the stuff to talk about. So we will get into that today. Uh, national security concerns. Also coming up in the program, uh, Rush Limbaugh's brother, David Limbaugh, who has been a, a guest on this program, and he's written another fantastic book. You know we don't shy away from talking about God and, and faith on this program. Never have. And we're not going to start today, especially, you know, and there's there's a couple of reasons why we don't shy away. A, in America, you shouldn't have to shy away or apologize. I came and was from the People's Republic of California. That's where I was born and raised. And I remember in 2006 when I left California and came to Texas, one of the things that I remember the most was that out in Texas, they openly talked about God on on the air. And that was something you, you weren't used to in California. They had so beaten back the mention of the Almighty in the public sphere that they made sure that, um, well, that uh, there was no uh, mention of it and it was demonized. You only, you only said it behind the church doors, that kind of thing. And it was, a, it was an eye-opener for me because I just, I just assumed, because I lived in the People's Republic of California, that everybody was like that. The whole country. Nobody was talking about faith or religion. And from that point on, I made I made a point that I wasn't going to shy away from it, neither my own convictions or faith, or listening to you or discussions of of faith. So David Limbaugh will be on to talk about his his powerful book that deals with the gospels, an evaluation of the gospels and and Christ. And for those of you who are Christians, even those of you who are atheists or doubters. I think this book has a message for you as well. Uh, I'm going to start off today talking about what we've learned over the last uh, 12, 16 hours. Now, this was last night, Fox News Channel, coming on the air. It was Brett Baer, and here was his evaluation about the, on the horizon, this looming battle over funding the government from now until the end of fiscal year, which is the end of September. Tonight, Democrats are essentially threatening to shut down the government over President Trump's call for seed money for his border wall with Mexico. The president campaigned, of course, on a promise that Mexico would pay for the structure. Now, Democrats are accusing President Trump of hurting poor Americans by having American taxpayers foot the bill. It appears to be the crucial issue as we head toward the possibility of a government shutdown at the funding deadline at the end of this week. Well, not so much. It turns out that uh, the president tweeted out today and, and signaled today that he is trusting congressional Republicans that border funding, border wall funding, I should say, will get into when they get into actual budgeting for 1718. That we're just finishing up Barack Obama's irresponsibility. I mean, the guy left all kinds of <laughs> all kinds of things for his his successor to clean up. Uh, all things on the international stage, a lot of things with Obamacare here domestically, and of course the budget. So they were only able to fund government uh, until this Saturday, and so we need to finish out 
Obama's obligation, which he couldn't even do that. And then we will allegedly get on to to funding the government, hope, God willing, through a budget, an actual budget. I mean, can you imagine what that would look like? We haven't done that in a while here in the United States. And that Donald Trump will get the funding for his wall and the country's wall then. And then there will be, uh, again, also hope springs eternal here, that we will get mechanisms that, that show the American people this is how Mexico is going to be made to pay for it, whether it be through taxing remittances through our banking system that go back into Mexico, whether it be uh, withholding government aid until their wall debt is paid. Either way, they'll, they will pay. So notice where I started out this conversation by talking about how Donald Trump is trusting Republicans, that they will get this done. Can we trust Republicans? We know we can't trust Democrats. Democrats, if they open their mouths, they're lying. I mean, that's, we've seen that demonstrated the last eight years with their, their leader, Barack Obama, and that trend continues. So it's, it's never in doubt that if a Democrat is talking, they're lying. Republicans, it's a crapshoot. So now we have to trust that Paul Ryan and Mitch McConnell and the Republicans will keep true to their word to Donald Trump and to the American people that in, in the coming budget, they will address border funding for the wall and make sure that the wall is funded so it can get built in the areas that it's needed and that the border will be secure. Problem is, we've been down this road before with Republicans, haven't we? And I'm going to explain that in greater detail after I play this from ABC News, the back and forth between Democrats who are insisting that, well, they're insisting that Donald Trump abandon his promise to the American people or else they're going to shut down the government. What's your message to Democrats who say that any attempt to include funding for the wall is a complete non-starter for them? There's some things that they want, and that's kind of horse trading. So if you, if you dig a, draw a line in the sand, the people who usually do that wind up getting more blamed than others who don't. Well, see, that that's the predicate laid by the, the basket of uh, bias, Brian Williams Press. If Democrats shut down the government, Republicans get the blame. If Republicans shut down the, the government, Republicans get the blame. See how that works? Now, that was Lindsey Graham saying, well, you know what, you start drawing all these lines in the sand, and, well, the Democrats are only made to pay for it if you actually take a stand, Lindsey Graham, and I don't see any Republicans willing to take a stand on anything. And in this case, not even the president of the United States is all too wedded to this idea of making sure that there is funding in this continuing resolution slash omnibus, whatever the hell they're going to call it. It's not budgeting. Whatever it is, it's not budgeting. So what about the Democrats? But the Democrats' message to the president, back off. If the president wouldn't throw this monkey wrench called the border wall into it, we'd come to an agreement by Friday and the government would be funded. That's Chuck Schumer, the Democrat majority leader in the Senate. And here's what he's saying. If, if Donald Trump just wouldn't insist on keeping his promises to the American people, we could get this whole thing done. So why, why doesn't Donald Trump just abandon this promise he made to the American people, so then all of his people will flee from him and he'll be a one-term president. And then we can get budget done because really the important thing is that government stays open and that government employees continue to get paid so they can use their, their union 
dues that they pay to the government unions to fund Democrat campaigns. That's really the important thing, isn't it, folks? So there's that. So now, here's where I, I question not only the Republican Party, but I question those who are surrounding Donald Trump. There is already a law that has been signed into place. It's called the 2006 Secure Offense Act. It was passed by both houses of Congress and signed in to law by a legitimate president, President George W. Bush. Now, remember when Ted Cruz said he wanted to fund all of government except for Obamacare that was hurting the American people? And then he took a stand and the Democrats said, see, Republicans, Ted Cruz shut the government down. See, they shut the government down. Why doesn't Paul Ryan and Mitch McConnell and Donald Trump, the president of the United States, demand that the Democrats fully fund government? And that includes the Secure Fence Act of 2006. Why? Then if Democrats say, well, we want to fund all of government except the 2006 Fence Act. Whoa, 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 wait a minute. That's every bit a legitimate law that Obamacare was, right? Passed by both houses of Congress, signed into law by a president. Then it would be the Democrats shutting the government down, wouldn't it? Then Donald Trump could use that money set aside for the Secure Fence Act and divert it to starting projects on the wall. Why won't Republicans do this? I think it's a fair question. Why can't we get any answers? Back in a minute, The Salcedo Show, The Blaze. This is The Chris Salcedo Show. The Blaze Radio Network. Are you worried about your mom or dad living alone in their house? Hi, I'm Joan London. Listen, I know how difficult it is to find senior care for someone you love. That's why I recommend a free service called A Place for Mom. They are the nation's largest senior living referral service. Call A Place for Mom today. To receive free information on senior living communities in your area, call A Place for Mom at 1-800-803-6951. Chris Salcedo. Welcome back, folks. I want to uh, introduce you to a, a story that we've been confronting on the, on the shows in Texas and in Dallas and in Houston. And the reason why I can is because it's making national news, and it affects all of you. Uh, Fox News Channel picked up on this, uh, this woman by the name of Representative Victoria Nieve. Now, did I talk about this at all yesterday, Ellie? I don't think I did. Uh, it was it was mostly a Texas thing, and we talked about it on the uh, the earlier version of the Salcedo Show and the latter version of the Salcedo Show. But here's what this woman is doing. This woman's on a hunger strike. You guys probably saw this on um, on Fox News. She's 
she's not eating any food until Wednesday, which is when the Texas legislature will vote on a sanctuary cities bill. And the sanctuary cities bill will basically pave the way for people like her in official positions who actively thwart federal immigration law, punish them, remove them from office and throw their butts in jail. Now, what am I talking? What kind of actions am I talking about? Well, like like that rogue judge out on the on the left coast in Oregon who uh, uh, helped an illegal alien escape deportation from ICE by letting him go out of the courtroom that she was overseeing out a, a door that ICE wasn't covering. He was a he was a drunk driver. So this judge putting foreigners first rather than American citizen safety lets him go out of a sight. And thank, thank God he didn't go out there and get drunk and kill somebody else before ICE finally caught up with him and deported his rear end. But it's bad enough that our government allows illegal aliens into this country against the will of the American people. It's even worse when leftists and Democrats seek to protect them at the expense of the safety of the constituents they are elected to actually protect. So you've got this woman, Victoria Nieve, who calls up the Democrat Morning News. That's my pet name for what used to be called the Dallas Morning News. But since they, they endorsed Hillary Clinton, they've become the Democrat Morning News. Her, th- this woman's office calls up the Democrat Morning News to make sure they go out and they cover her receiving communion. She's a Catholic on Sunday. And the story is this wafer, her communion, is the last bit of sustenance she will get before Wednesday. That's when this bill in the Texas House is supposed to be voted on, right? So I have a couple of problems with this leftist. Number one, I have a problem with her advocacy. She's advocating, she's standing up for illegal aliens at the expense of the will of the American people and the people of Texas, which is what Democrats do. Don't get me wrong. I understand that the Democrat Party is the foreigner's first party. They're the anti-rule of law party. This is what they do. But I still oppose them. I'm, I'm not going to, I don't accept that. I think that they're, they're bad for the United States, these Democrats, these extremist libs. Don't, don't misunderstand what I'm saying. I'm just saying that that, that that is probably the least shocking me personally. What really got my goat was the utilizing of the Catholic faith to advance her uh, propping up illegal activity. She, she utilized... And I guess you guys have to, you guys would have to be Catholic. See, I'm I'm a practicing devout Catholic. And for those of you who are not Catholic, you're just gonna trust me on this. That receiving what they we call the Eucharist, what we call the body and blood, soul and divinity of Jesus Christ, that's the it is a big deal. And this woman, Victoria Nieve, bastardized the whole thing. By inviting the press. See, the only time the press ever wants to show up is when they can utilize and show up to a church event and and prop up whatever the church is doing when they can use it to promote lawlessness. Which is what 
Victoria Nieve is doing. She, she is utilizing the church as a backdrop so she can stand up and say, hey, we elected leaders, we Democrats shouldn't be punished for violating federal law. And God, and, and, and the, the backdrop is, oh, God is with me. They're saying prayers that this bill fails, that law and order fails. Well, since her story has aired on um, national television, a lot of you folks have taken to Twitter to go after her, this Pharisee. And you guys have to look up in your Bible what a Pharisee is. Uh, One guy, J.M. Williams writing, yeah, and Sheila Jackson Lee participated in a sit-in on the House floor, and that lasted until supper time. (laughs) Another guy wrote, "Uh, I have a major announcement to make. I've decided to go on a hunger strike until all liberals become at least moderate. Besides, I need to lose 140 pounds. <laughs> and lastly, from this this girl named Tessie, uh, let her smell a Krispy Kreme donut while the light is on. Her hunger strike will end right there. You know, she, she's become a laughing stock. She's made Democrats in Texas a laughing stock. Talk a little bit more about this with my next guest. David Limbaugh is up next on the Chris Salcedo Show. Don't go anywhere. I'll be right back. The Chris Salcedo Show will be right back. The Blaze Radio Network. Salcedo Show. And welcome back. Let's get to our guest today. David Limbaugh is a lawyer, nationally syndicated columnist, political commentator, and the author of seven, count them, New York Times bestsellers in his latest book, The True Jesus, Uncovering the Divinity of Christ in the Gospels, just made the New York Times bestsellers list. Mr. Limbaugh, welcome back to the Salcedo Show. Thank you so much for having me on. Uh, first off, uh, b- before I, I focus on what your your work means to those people who are of faith. I wanted you to describe what, what your thoughts were on the impact a book like yours will make on on the, the Christian skeptic or maybe the atheist. Well, my hope is that it will have some impact on some people. My other two Christian-themed books, based on my feedback, did uh, affect some people. I mean, I'm not taking credit for it, but... Nevertheless, it was very encouraging when you get feedback from people saying that I, I, they could relate to my book in ways they couldn't relate to things they'd heard before. And I think part of my advantage there is that I come from a background of skepticism, so I kind of understand what makes skeptics tick. Yeah, and you address in this book, which I thought was, is not very focused on much by, by theologians and is not part of our normal everyday parlance when we're talking about uh, about the Bible, you you focused on a time between the Old and New Testaments, and it's it's you know what I I don't have very much knowledge about what happened in that time period either. Why did you choose to go there? Well, this book is an introduction to the Gospels, and uh, I wanted to give go deeply into the Gospels, which I do in the last two thirds of the book, the bulk of the book, chapters five through twelve, but in the first four chapters of part one, I wanted to introduce the readers to the background of the Old Testament period, the world that Jesus was entering when he 
uh, came into human history. And to do that, you need to understand the, the years, the turbulent years preceding, uh, the, uh, following the end of the New Testament, about 400 B.C., the writing of the New Testament, and when, the, when Christ came around 3 A.D., because the Jewish ex Messianic expectations were affected by their interrelationship with God and the foreign powers that were dominating them. So I try to trace all that and then go into all the factors that coalesced to make the gospel uh, ripe for transmission during that period of time. David Limbaugh, our guest right now, folks, he's the author of the brand new book, The True Jesus, Uncovering the Divinity of Christ in the Gospels. Uh, it just hit uh, the New York Times bestsellers list. So let's, the Gospels, I, I've heard some folks who are, again, back to, back to our friends, the skeptics or the atheists, who see these Gospels as somewhat contradictory. They seem to focus on, on, on the same events but they have different takes on those events, and that's evidence for some that they're, they're not telling, uh, the, the, they're just stories, and they, they don't have their facts straight. You took a different message from the different angles in which the, the Gospels were told. Yes. Now, in my book, I consolidate the four Gospels into one combined narrative for the purpose of introducing the reader to every event that occurred in the Gospels, all the sayings of Jesus, mostly verbatim, sometime paraphrased, uh, in order to save space. But, though I combine the Gospels for purposes of, of communicating information, there is no substitute for reading the four Gospels themselves and, and their different perspectives. I intend for them, this book, to launch people into a, 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 an attitude of reading the Gospels for themselves. We have four different perspectives, as Church Father Irenaeus said, as we have four directions of the wind. God intended there to be four different perspectives, they are not contradictory. Sometimes they emphasize different things. Matthew emphasizes Jesus' Jesus's kingship. Mark, that he was a suffering servant. Luke, his, his humanity. Jesus is fully human and fully God. And John, his deity. And, and so sometimes you'll see things that might strike you as inconsistent, such as one gospel writer writes about one angel in the tomb, in the empty tomb, speaking, and another one mentions two angels. Well, it's not inconsistent. It's just that one witness didn't record, didn't uh, state that there were two, didn't state there weren't two. And so it's like witnesses in a courtroom. If their stories are too pat, you might think they colluded and conspired to create a perfect story, and you wouldn't believe them. So these separate accounts, I think, add to their authenticity and integrity rather than detract from them. Uh, David Limbaugh, our guest right now, folks, and his, his brand-new offering, The True Jesus, Uncovering the Divinity of Christ in the Gospels. Uh, you mentioned... You mentioned the expectation the Jews had of who Jesus would be, and because of, in the context of the oppressors of their day, they, they were expecting a warrior. Later, uh, after, after Christ had, had done, done what he did, died for our sins, and, and, and Catholicism and then the branches of Christianity developed, there was an effort that you outlined that, that tried to revamp history in the 18th century and it was courtesy of our friend uh, friends in in liberal uh, liberal scholars they began to construct alternative versions of Jesus's life and i i would suspect to fit the political narrative of that day describe that yeah and and also because they they have the hearts of skeptics and skeptics want to tear things down it's harder to believe their versions than it is to believe the truth it is harder to be an atheist than it is to be a christian 
the, the, uh, there's overwhelming evidence that the New Testament documents are reliable. We have more copies uh, and uh, of ancient, I mean, copies of these documents, 5,800 copies around the time the events were written and, and after, uh, compared to any other ancient document. We have a, a, we strong bases upon which to rely on the gospel writers. They died for what they believed in. They died only after uh, and, and went to their martyrdom only after seeing Christ res, uh, be resurrected in his bodily form. They weren't believers. They were still doubters when they saw the empty tomb, and it wasn't until he came back. But these the Gnostics and the Docetists who uh, emerged around the second century doubted his divinity because they saw the world as dualistic. Material world was all evil. Spiritual world was good. Christ could not have been fully human. Therefore, he couldn't have been crucified. That is a terrible heresy. And it was dismissed early on by the church, despite what the Da Vinci Code uh, Brown talks about. <laughs> there, there were no competing versions of the Gospels in the first century. The creedal formulas were adopted large and accepted by the church before they were even written down in the New Testament form. And I have a list on page 40 or 44 in my book that lists a, a several of these. Of, oh, well, actually 40 of these things that I got from Lee Strobel and Gary Habermas. Uh, all these creedal formulas the Christians accepted, and the essentials of the gospel were firmly in place and believed by all Christians, and that was what was promoted in the churches, his death, his resurrection, his deity, his full humanity, and, and the empty tomb and all that. It was not even in dispute, and yet these people go back and try to rewrite history, and it's happened throughout history, as you mentioned, in the 18th century, and it's happening again with the new atheist movement. They shake their fist at a God they claim not to believe in. Why do they care so much if there's no God? They can pretend they care because Christians cause trouble. In fact, Christians don't cause trouble. Christians are a force for good throughout the world. We're not the ones killing people. We're the ones who are bringing peace, and we're the ones who are standing for freedom and liberty and protecting people throughout the world. Yeah, we have a, an example of a, an elected leader in the state of Texas who who, who used ca the Catholicism, her Catholic mass, as a backdrop to justify illegal immigration. And in my mind, it's what, what you call in the book uh, a, a, a rewrite, the fictitious lives of Jesus that might fall into that category. Yeah. David Limbaugh, everybody, lawyer, nationally syndicated columnist, political commentator, and the author of this new book. Pick it up. It's powerful. The True Jesus, Uncovering the Divinity of Christ in the gospel sir always a pleasure visiting with you here on the salcedo show you too thank you so much for having me on it's an honor you do a great job thank you sir Th take care thank you we appreciate it triple eight nine hundred thirty that's the phone number here you want to weigh in on what you just heard mr limbaugh talk about or you want to weigh in on what donald trump is signaling about the border wall uh are you buying this do you do you buy what's going on up on Capitol Hill, do we believe Paul Ryan? Do we believe Mitch McConnell? That Oh, yes, we'll get to border wall funding in the 1718 budget plan. Or have we been down this road before? And then if Congress was serious under the Republicans' control, why will they not insist that, law, that the government be fully funded, including the 2006 Secure Fence Act? One might suspect they don't want to secure that border after all, folks. Telephone numbers, 888-900-3393. I'll be right back. Dial in, let it out. 888-900-3393. This is the Chris Salcedo Show. Part of Generation Blaze. On the Blaze Radio Network.
Chris Salcedo is on the Blaze Radio Network. <laughs> I'm sorry. Welcome back, everybody. Uh, we're going to do the flip around. Don't worry. That's coming up top of next hour. I uh, was looking, <laughs> looking on the Blaze page, blaze.com, and uh, Glenn and the guys did uh, a piece today. Uh, apparently, Bill Nye, the fake science guy, has... Uh, I didn't even know he had a show, to be honest. And uh, I, I guess, you know, you're big enough fake, you get you get a show. I mean, which means Obama's uh, due for one any day now. Uh, anyway, Bill Nye has this... Um, has this skit, I suppose. Well, I haven't listened to it all the way through, but I just, I found the, uh, my sex junk is what it's called. Um, and part, I guess part of the lyrics is my vagina has a voice. <laughs> all of which are candidates for my new band name. Um, uh, my sex junk. That's a pretty good, well, you're writing that down. Yeah. She, are you writing that down? Good. All right. Ellie's writing that down. And then also, you know, my, my vagina has a voice. And then, <laughs> so if a vagina has a voice, what, is it, what does the male anatomy have? I'm just asking. <laughs> this is, and, and this guy wants to be taken seriously. He, well, I guess what the whole push is, is, is to try to say that transgenderism is, is science. So leave it up to Bill Nye, a guy who thinks that uh, man-made global warming is settled science. Leave it up to him to say, "Oh yeah, this whole this whole transgender thing is um, settled science." Okay. Uh, before we uh, move on to uh, back to uh, I think a more pressing question, did we mention this yesterday about Eman- uh, Emmanuel Macron? The guy who will be the next French, the next French leader, it is said, according to the polls. Although, I in this era, I would not write off uh, what's going on with Marine Le Pen and how fed up Europe is with this these open border kooks over there, these left wing nutcases. Anyway, this guy. Macron, Macron, Emmanuel Macron, he, uh, he hooked up with his, with his drama teacher when he was a teenager. And they were having, well, according to a lot of the English tabloids, a rather sordid sexual affair. And uh, it, was, it was so uh, satisfactory, I suppose, that he ended up marrying her. She's 24 years his senior. And she, this woman um, can, could conceivably be a woman who was having an inappropriate sexual relationship with somebody that she was teaching could be the next first lady of France. <laughs> now look, I, you, you look at the left-wing publications over there. And they're saying, can we please stop focusing on this, this woman and her inappropriate relationship with this guy? We have fascists to stop, say the left-wingers. 
That's that's what they that's what they call Marine Le Pen as a fascist, because she believes in national identity and not having mass immigration without assimilation. But uh, can we stop focusing in on this child molester <laughs> who will be the next first lady of France? Because we have fascists to stop sexual molestation of of. I mean, he, he may have been 18 for all I know. He could have been 18. It could have been completely legal. Um, it, it just say, we, we, left-wingers will tolerate inappropriate relationships between teachers and children so they can battle who they label as fascists. <laughs> Shows you their, uh, their priorities. Ladies and gentlemen, they can, they can talk themselves into anything, can't they, to advance liberalism? Okay, uh, so back to this, the central question we've posed this hour, and I'll leave you on this to noodle on the top of the hour news here. Do we trust the Republicans? Or are we starting to see the, the retreat? Are we starting to see, well, you know, it was good to, to, to talk about the wall, but it's not going to get funded and it's not going to get up because you know what? The rich people don't want it. Uh, the rich people in the Democrat Party don't want it because they need a new voting base. And the rich people in the Republican Party who are bought off by the Chamber of Commerce, they don't want it to hell with what you, the American people, have to say. Is this where we're headed? And do you think that Donald Trump has said, well, you know what, I've got bigger fish to fry. Um, I'm just going to move on. Or do you think Donald Trump remains true to his word? Um, again, I will posit this out there for you guys to also reflect on. Don't forget the 2006 Secure Fence Act. Why won't Republicans fund that? It's a fundamental question, and oddly, nobody in the basket of bias press is asking it. This is the Chris Salcedo Show on the Blaze Radio Network. Prepare yourself to ingest current events, pop culture, and politics with a side of Latin flair. Vices. I don't have to show you any stinking vices. This is the Chris Salcedo Show on the Blaze Radio Network. All right, hour two, well underway here on the Chris Salcedo Show, and I'm glad you've made it, everybody. It's time for the flip around. Normally, we lead the show with this, but I think we start... Putting it in different places so folks can uh, who uh, are, aren't able to tune in the first hour and want to come in the second hour and catch the flip around. This is where we put the remote in my hands and we just flip around all the cable networks, see what they're talking about. We'll start off today with CNN. Here, and uh, obviously it'll be investigated by both the House and Senate Intelligence Committees. But more importantly, uh, it's probably being investigated by the FBI. And I think the FBI clearly have... Uh, a lot more leverage here because they can actually prosecute for any crimes that have been committed. So I suspect that one of these investigations is going to turn up just exactly what took place here. Chairman Chaffetz uh, said today that the White House refused to provide any material related to, to Flynn's vetting uh, or when he was fired. The White House uh, deferred to the Pentagon for some of that material. You were a White House chief of staff. If you were advising uh, President Trump what would you suggest you do when it comes to sharing information about General Flynn? I think the best policy is for the White House to fully cooperate in these investigations. Oh, yes, because your boss, when you were inside of the, uh, 
When you were inside of the Obama administration, oh, they were all about transparency, weren't they? Uh, Jason Chaffetz came out today, folks, and said that uh, Michael Flynn may have broken the law. And if that were the case, uh, that could be very, very bad. And the White House is not turning over any of their internal documents and how they vetted Mr. Flynn. Uh, There's probably a good reason for that because apparently he wasn't vetted very well. I think we can all basically say he wasn't vetted well at all. We didn't even know he was a a foreign agent. He had registered as a foreign agent. That would have been a hint and a half not to hire him for national security advisor. Let's head over to Fox. Are going to appreciate the size of the tax cut that the president is planning on rolling out tomorrow as well. Here's what Sean Spicer, the press secretary, had to say say, uh, about it all just a few minutes ago at the briefing. Wait until tomorrow, you can see the plan. But I think obviously uh, we've got to do everything we can to get economic growth going and job creation going. I think the more we can do to make our country, our businesses, our manufacturers in particular, more competitive, that's good for American workers, it's good for our economy, it's good for economic growth. Now, some Democrats were saying up in the Hill, and this included Debbie Stabenow from the great state of Michigan, that uh, she wasn't prepared to sign on to anything that President Trump puts out in terms of tax reform, Neil, if it's geared only at corporations. She said if it includes uh, small businesses, then maybe she could consider signing on to it, and we understand that it will. And again, uh, this new plan to uh, increase either the personal deduction or dependent deductions, I'm not sure exactly how they're going to do it, so that many lower-income earners, many more lower-income earners in the United States, states will effectively pay zero tax all right so uh, trump one of the big high uh highlights that have kind of leaked out of the tax plan he's going to roll out tomorrow along with along with his meeting and senators on north korea is the 15 percent corporate tax rate now what many don't um know or realize is that the united states puts its companies at the biggest disadvantage of any other country on the planet our companies are forced to pay more taxes than any other country on the planet. So that, again, that puts us at an immediate disadvantage because our government rides on the backs of our businesses and they can't compete very well abroad. So uh, Trump has given no indication that there's not going to be middle-class tax relief in all of this either. He, he has not said that, oh, I'm just going to do it for the businesses and I'm not going to worry about anybody else. No, he, is, he has consistently said there will be a, a, uh, a middle-class tax cut and a, uh, for individual filers and for small businesses, there will be a tax cut as well. Much needed, and, and, and praise God, a simplified tax code away from this 75,000-page idiocy that has been mostly gifted to us by left-wing Democrats. Let's go over to MSNBS. They're having a conversation with a Republican, uh, look at this, Congressman Donovan is his name, I think. The president still wants to do this. Speaker Ryan, I think, is courageous. He continues to, to try to put this thing together so we can fulfill our promise to the American people. And so I think you're going to find that first. There's a lot of implications, tax implications, in the health care plan that have an effect on the, health, on the uh, income co- tax code. So I think you're going to see us do health care before we do income tax. Donald Trump now talking about this border wall being built later on in his presidency. It apparently, and correct me if I'm wrong here, but apparently funding for that border wall will not be part of this deal to keep the government open uh, this week. Do you think that wall actually is going to get built or is this a promise that he won't keep? 
Oh, I think what he's doing is he's listening to his advisors, his national security advisors, the, the folks who are responsible for protecting our nation day in and day out, and, and create something that they believe will help create our nation, uh, keep our nation safe. Uh, you know, people had a vision of a big brick wall, some had uh, visions of an electronic wall, some people had visions of a surveillance wall. No, um, <laughs> no. <laughs> Sorry, this guy is from New York, guys. He's a, he's a, I'm making air quotes with my fingers, Republican from New York. Uh, Mr. Donovan here. Oh, yeah, so, th- so what he's trying to do is he's trying to spin. He's trying to say, oh, yeah, some people had uh, visions that a wall meant, you know, no wall at all. <laughs> some people had visions that a wall meant uh, 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 pixie dust. Uh, some people had a vision that a wall was uh, complete and open border, allowing anybody to come anytime they freaking wanted to. No, Mr. Donovan, none of us were under the illusion that that's what a wall meant, sir. What we meant when we said and we were promised a wall, which was an end to illegal immigration. Uh, there's a security component, yes, but there's also a compliance with the rule of law, sir. And notice how none of these shrubs ever talk about compliance with the rule of law. Especially these, these progressives who call themselves Republicans from, from states like New York. I don't know Donovan very well. Hell, I don't know Donovan at all. But just by hearing that little short soundbite on MSNBS, well, there's a reason why he's on MSNBS. He's a, quote-unquote, reasonable Republican. One that likes to, you know, say that Congress isn't subject to the laws they impose on all of us. Complete and utter idiocy, in my mind. And, well, I I, got to tell you, folks, I don't know where this is all going to go. I, I do know, well, let's, let, let's put it this way. If Donald Trump doesn't get a significant portion of the wall built across areas where a wall is needed that or some sort of barrier system that will impede the progress of illegal aliens and impede the progress of drugs and impede the progress of, of gang members coming across that border, MS-13 and others, that will put an end a stop to illegal immigration. If illegal immigration isn't put to a stop, he will not be reelected. I, I guarantee you that if we are sitting here looking down the barrel of uh, millions more illegals coming into this country and all of these problems that are still uh, plaguing America in 3.75 years from now that are plaguing them today, and our borders are less secure or just as uh, porous as they are today, there will be no re-election of Donald Trump. And I think that will be the death knell of the American people's faith in elected leaders of Congress and the White House. I think, I think this one singular issue that was strong enough to propel a political novice into the White House over so-called experienced morons like Hillary Clinton who have done their level best to exploit this country for their own personal benefit. The, the, the same power and energy that put him into the Oval Office, that will be 
a destructive power to this government. The American people have been lied to too long and betrayed by elected leaders of both parties on this issue for far too long. Washington, D.C., the Democrat Party and the Republican Party are not on the same page with the nation on illegal immigration. And if this isn't done, we're not going to fall for the Secure Fence Act ruse again. Oh yeah, we'll pass it and we'll make sure the hordes quit talking about it and uh, put the pitchforks away, put the torches away, and then um, and then everything, all will be fine. And then we can get back to making sure illegals are streaming across that border and plugging into our school system and and plugging into our welfare system on on the uh, on the state level and the city level. Uh, that's not going to happen. That same. And this is my word of caution to you folks up on Capitol Hill. That same energy that propelled Donald Trump through a 17-person primary and into the Oval Office, that energy will be squarely focused on you. And you will undermine any credibility this government had left with the American people on this issue. And maybe credibility, period. Because it will, be, it will be definitive that whether you have an R in front of your name or a D in front of your name, you can't be trusted to do the will of the American people. You're up there doing the, the will of special interests in your own political fortunes. That's not your job. All right, folks, we'll talk about national security coming up here on the Chris Salcedo Show. I didn't get into, but well, hold on a minute. Let's talk. Let's see what Fox Business. Before we go, Fox Business. Here's briefly what they're talking about because it actually will help me tease the next segment. And says these are the toughest yet. Well, North Korea carries on. One of the reasons being that whatever China and Russia and various other UN member states agree to with these sanctions, they don't necessarily do anything about it. They yeah. don't actually stick to what they agree to. Well, Claudia, this is what I, we've I, seen. Yeah. I'm thinking of a, of a variation of that old line, damn the torpedoes, full speed ahead. In this case, is it yeah. damn the UN, just full speed ahead with the torpedoes? Yes. I mean, the way to solve this is never mind the United Nations. And I, I think what Trump was trying to do, my read was it was like the godfather inviting the Security Council to lunch at his house. <laughs> They're talking about North Korea and ahead of this meeting tomorrow with senators at the White House. We'll talk more about this the other side of the break. Be right back, folks. It's the Salcedo Show. Telling the truth. It's one of those jobs American liberals won't do. That's why we need the liberty-loving Latino Chris Salcedo. The Blaze Radio Network. Salcedo Show. All right, let's get out of the phones. Uh, to Massachusetts we go. Scott, our old buddy Scott calling back in. Uh, welcome, sir, to the Chris Salcedo Show. I'm glad you called. Chris, thank you. I'm glad I did, too. I love your show. I thank wish you, I man. could call in more than once every three weeks. Although I called in, what, three days ago. but And I apologize for that call, by the way. I was walking down the street, so if I sounded bad or windy out, I, and I apologize. 
Um, but before I get into Trump funding wall in the first 100 days, a quick comment. Did you see today, I'm, I, I like this guy, I, I'm ignorant about him, I don't know a lot about him, but Secretary Ross, Commerce can Secretary Ross did some speaking before Spicer got up there on the daily press conference. Clearly he's intelligent, much like Trump, he's a no BS type of guy. Um, the quote he ended as he was leaving the sta- stage, stage is probably the wrong word, Podium. As, he was, as he was leaving the platform, he said, well, I'm glad you guys are out of questions because I'm out of answers. So I like this guy. I don't know much about him at all. Do you, Secretary uh, Ross? No, I, I don't no, know much about uh, him. No, not, not very much. He's the older gentleman, correct? Yes, sir. Yep. Yeah. Bald. Um, he, bald uh, looks yeah. like Larry David, kind of, to be honest with you. He's kind well, of... <laughs> not, not that that's no, a good he's thing. cool. You can get a vibe on someone just by... Yeah. I only watched him for literally 90 seconds. I caught, I caught the very end of his... Uh, speech isn't the right word. What is it? Press conference. Yeah, but, uh, yeah he was on before Spicer today, which is I've never. Usually, it's just Spicer that gives it. Well, but, you know uh, what you'll, was? You'll see it later. What? What? I, what? I didn't. I didn't get a chance to to watch it. But what was? What I had, and I saw some of this stream by. I think USA Today wrote this up, and some others that that Wilbur Ross was asked uh, a, a question about Michael Flynn. Now, here's this is the Commerce Secretary. And somebody in the basket of biased press wanted to know his thoughts on on this Michael Flynn issue. And and from what from what I understood from the write up, he wasn't at all he, he wasn't at all uh, shall we say impressed with the lack of intelligence of the press. No, he was calling them out. And like I said, he's a no BS type of guy. He reminds me of Trump. He, he's a, he's another version of Trump. No BS. Yes, like I said, I only watched two minutes ish. But yes, one, one question, he like looked back at the uh, guy, probably from the basket of bias, the New York Times or one of the other rags out there, and he, he looked back at him and goes, did you not hear what I just said? He goes, uh, the White House, I, you know what I mean? I'm not speaking verbatim, obviously, but the, in general, he was calling the guy an idiot. Like, did you not listen to me? No, we, we're, we're not privy to that due to the last administra- administration. You'll, you'll see it later, Chris, and I want to watch it again, but he was great. I was very impressed. So yeah. if Wilbur Ross, Trump. when when he was asked this question, and again, it's it's not stated uh, which which of the basket of bias, and probably for uh, good reason, the USA that. Today didn't didn't want to embarrass uh, whoever was stupid enough to ask the Commerce Secretary about Michael Flynn uh, at Tuesday's White House press briefing. Ross didn't appear amused when a reporter asked whether uh, the recent focus. On, on lumber, quote, might get Michael Flynn's name off the front pages. And Mr. Ross waited for a moment uh, before, answering, uh, uh, before answering and then deadpanned, quote, is Michael Flynn now a trade issue? I wasn't aware that he was, mm, end exactly. quote. Exactly. So, See my uh, point? See how kudos kudos to, to the Commerce Secretary. Yeah, totally. That just illustrates exactly what I was saying. There's no BS like most politicians. All right, moving on, if I am granted the time, yes. about Trump. And the first 100 days, which appears to be the benchmark, which I think is kind of silly. You know, I judge a president not on his first 100 days, but by his first, quote-unquote, four years, and whether or not we give him a two-term presidency. But uh, funding the wall. Yeah, I mean, it's becoming politics. He's getting settled in. But if, if you want to give him a grade, again, this is cliche, but appears to be what the talking heads are saying, you know, what do you give him for a grade for the first hundred days? And my opinion is there's two grades, okay? A, if you're, not A as in a grade, <laughs> I mean, firstly, 
he's, uh, how do you think of him politically? Now, if you're a liberal, you're going to give him an F, obviously. If you're a, as I self-describe, a common-sense conservative, I give him a B plus. But more importantly, uh, as I don't have any children yet, but if I did, the one grade I'd be interested in is effort. And I give Mr. Trump an A plus for effort. He's clearly attempting to be a public servant and not a politician. And he's trying. Whether or not you agree or disagree with him is a separate conversation. But you are getting someone who is trying their best. Well, I, I think that nobody, I think it's what you, you're, maybe the word you're looking for is work ethic. We knew that President Obama didn't have one of these things called a work ethic. We, I remember the opening days and years of his administration were, were marred with uh, White House parties and concerts so we could hobnob with all these, these leftists in Hollywood and, uh, and uh, in the music scene. And all of the important stuff seemed to go by the wayside, securing the nation, our role in the world. He just retreated on every front, and the only thing he really cared about doing was beating up Republicans and conservatives and then passing left-wing legislation that was not to the benefit of the country. And you contrast that with Donald Trump, who goes to work every single day, puts his nose to the grindstone, and doesn't stop, according to his aides. He just he never stops. And their overarching concern that he has is for the for the betterment of the country. So uh, I mean, you contrast the two the two leaders, and I think that that sticks out. Uh, I think you're right. A for effort is uh, a pretty good metric. Thank you, Scott. I appreciate the call, man. Don't be a stranger to the program here. Uh, telephone number you want to weigh in is 888-933-93-888-900-3393. Up next, we will get to the foreign policy discussion. And I'm going to use tomorrow's meeting about North Korea between the Senate and Donald Trump as a backdrop to be able to talk about a lot of other things, including uh, the, the Iranian situation and the situation, broadly speaking, in the South China Sea. Back in a minute, the Salcedo Show, here on The Blaze. 888-900-3393. The Chris Salcedo Show. On the Blaze Radio Network. The Chris Salcedo Show. On the Blaze Radio Network. We have given them total authorization, and that's what they're doing. And frankly, that's why they've been so successful lately. If you look at what's happened over the last eight weeks and compare that's what really to what's happened over the last eight years, you'll see there's a tremendous difference. Style Trump taking the gloves off the United States military and the leadership in the United States military saying, here's your mission, go do it. A stark contrast to what we saw from President Obama and his administration. President Obama had snot-nosed leftists calling up our generals on the battlefield. Gee, General, I don't know, pajama boy, I don't know if that's a great-looking thing for you to be doing. That might not play well in the press. And generals were subordinated to these political idiots. And, you know, one of the great examples of the Obama administration's window dressing use of the military was this half-hearted effort against ISIS, Barack Obama's JV team. And 
I, I remember he was just doing enough to say that he was doing something so that it, so that the press would go, oh, look at Barack Obama. He's, uh, he's, he's doing something. Yes, he's something, isn't he? And that's all they wanted. They didn't want to win. I, I cannot conceive, and I'll bet you if you, if we ever are privy to some tell-all books about President Obama, I bet you will find the order to win and beat ISIS was never given. And certainly not saying, here's your orders, go beat ISIS, you guys figure out how to do it. Give me some plans and we'll sign off on them and we'll go. Now, contrast that, or not contrast that, but you've got Trump saying, I'm letting the professionals do what the professionals do. And even the guys who worked for Obama, we heard from him earlier in the hour live, uh, Leon Panetta, who was CIA director and Secretary of Defense, as well as Gates and Hagel, they all weighed in on how it was to work for Obama trying to secure this nation and trying to get things done in defense of this nation. It was the operational micromanagement that drove me nuts. Too often, uh, people are kind of worried or second-guessing where the president wants to go, and they try to then shave their views to basically please the president. I don't think there's one veteran uh, uh, on his senior staff at the White House. I don't believe there's one business person. I don't believe there's one person who's ever run anything. I think he's got to fundamentally understand, and I don't, I'm not sure he ever did, nor the people around him, the, the tremendous responsibility the United States has. And that was Obama's deficiency, but we're improving on that because we don't have uh, a cat in the Oval Office who says, I need to be involved in every facet of this government or, or, my, or my liberal... Uh, Cronies need to be involved in every facet of this government uh, so that liberalism is always advanced, so that our political agenda is always advanced. Not defense of the nation, screw that, just, just my political agenda. So it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a step up. We have a step up now with Donald Trump running things. Uh, Vice President Pence, maybe two or three steps up when he sets foot on the deck of the USS Ronald Reagan over... In South Korea, uh, as well, is making some statements. Uh, first on the deck of the, uh, the Reagan. Beyond this noble ship and the carrier strike group that it leads, by the year 2020, this ocean will boast 60% of our Navy's fleet. And the skies above already have F-35 joint strike fighters flying for freedom. The USS Ronald Reagan, uh, our most technologically advanced nuclear-powered aircraft carrier, and the F-35 strike fighter, the most expensive, <laughs> and yes, sophisticated aircraft that's flying. And hopefully there will be more airborne soon, and we're going to need them. Then Mike Pence sets the stage that, and, and wants to not, there's, not, there's more than one audience for this, but the person in the front row, is Kim Jong-un. The United States of America will always seek peace, but under President Trump, the shield stands guard and the sword stands ready. Rest assured, under President Trump's leadership, the United States will continue to protect our people and our allies and to strengthen the bonds between us today, tomorrow, and every day that follows. Many are speculating this sword of which the vice president spoke of will be discussed tomorrow in this meeting in Washington, D.C. at the White House. Between these senators and between 
Donald Trump. Left-wingers are, are deathly afraid that a communist will be confronted. Left-wingers are afraid that communism will be once again shown to be detrimental to human liberty and freedom. By the way, that reminds me. Remember I told you last week when we saw the chaos in Venezuela that Libs knew that it was their policies on trial, knew that it was their policies that it caused all of this? Blaze wrote up something on Friday, last Friday. Rachel Maddow of MSNBS tried to blame donations to the Trump campaign on the, the unrest in Venezuela. <laughs> See, she knows. She knows the, fo- the, the folks she supports and the policies she support led to the misery and destruction of human liberty in Venezuela. Thursday night, MSNBS host Rachel Maddow made the claim that the current civil unrest happening in the socialist country of Venezuela is a product of donations given to President Donald Trump's 2016 campaign. Maddow began her report by discussing a Mike.com Yes, very credible. Mike.com article about national uh, national security officials along with Trump's chief of staff, Steve Bannon, meeting with the businessmen with ties to Trump's family in order to lift sanctions on Venezuela. These sanctions were put in place by the previous administration in 2014 after 43 protesters were killed in a government crackdown. So at any rate, here she is saying, well, it's just everything's Trump's fault, even though he's only been in office two months. And that uh, this could not be the responsibility of left-wing policies and ideology that is firmly ensconced and entrenched inside of Venezuela right now. Ideologically, Hugo Chavez and, and Mr. Maduro have very little difference with Rachel Maddow. Rachel Maddow and those two cats, and let's, let's be frank, Obama and Hillary Clinton, they all think the same about government's role in your life. So back to um, back to this discussion on national security and what's going to be happening as far as China is concerned. And they're well, we're trying to prompt them to intervene in North Korea. Trust me, people, they they don't like the fact that there's a lot of American hardware all of a sudden over there. They just they don't like it. They're going to like it even less if Donald Trump says, we're going to put nukes back in South Korea. We're going to put nukes in Japan. They're going to like that even less. Michael Hanlon from the Brookings Institution, a left-leaning organization, talking with Fox last night about this growing North Korea crisis. The military options are so unappealing that this is what you're led to do. Yeah, the reason why the military options are so unappealing, folks, we could take out their missile sites, no problem, but their conventional weapons that are pointed over its soul would just devastate soul. And we have American service members who are also in harm's way, not to mention the folks, our allies in South Korea. So there are no good options. And remember how we got here. William Jefferson Clinton put together a deal. 
Hey, look, uh, I, I want, hey, Kim Jong-il, come here. This is Kim Jong-un's pop-up. Kim Jong-il, I want, you, I want to talk to you, all right? I'm going to give you a whole bunch of money, all right? A bunch of taxpayer American money. And what I want you to do, I don't want you to go ahead. I, I, I do not want you to develop nuclear weapons. You promise me. Get, come here. Give me, give me your pinky. Come here. Yeah, give me your pinky. I want you to pinky swear. You pinky swear that you're not going to make up uh, any nuclear weapons, and I'll make sure I give you a whole... Whole boatload of American taxpayers' money, all right? You, you promise? You, you, you're, okay, I'm looking around. Okay, now where are the girls at? Come on, where, where, where are the girls at? Come on, let's go. Let's go have a good time. So that was the deal that was brokered in the, in the Clinton administration. And, of course, they never checked up on it. They just gave billions of taxpayer dollars to North Korea. North Korea developed a nuclear program, tested it first in 2006 during the Bush administration. They never would have been allowed to had Clinton not brokered that insane deal. It's the same type of deal that Obama brokered with Iran. Same thing. Same lack of, of transparency. Same type of American money going over there, financing these despotic regimes, acquisition of the most dangerous weapons known to man. And this is, this is the legacy of the Democrat Party. And the way you ask China to help is partly by the... Uh, she and and Trump relationship, which I'm impressed by. I think President Trump's been doing a good job working that relationship. But you also need some friends to remind China this is the right thing, and also friends to send the message: China, if you don't uh, tighten up the screws a little bit here, uh, the world may put some economic pressure on you. Not just on North Korea, but on the Chinese firms and banks and other entities that are doing business with North Korea. That's the way the Iran sanctions process went. Yeah, that's that's exactly what. George W. Bush did. He convinced Europe and, and trading partners with with uh, Iran and Russia to put sanctions on on them. And the sanctions were just starting to bite and just starting to bring the Iranians to their knees. And then Obama said, let me be clear. Here comes Barack Obama. I'm going to give you all billions of dollars of Americans money. Let me be clear. Oh, and I'm going to give you some nukes, too. You get to develop nukes. So. Barack Obama, just when we had the, the Iranians right where we wanted them, he gave them a deal that allowed them to keep all their nuclear infrastructure. And they are now, as a matter of fact, there's a new report out about the Parchin facility. And the Parchin facility is weaponizing nuclear weapons as we speak inside of Iran. Speaking of Iran, Elliot Abram, Abrams, he's the former um, national security advisor to George W. Bush, saying that Trump now has to deal with all the cans that past presidents have kicked down the road with North Korea and with Iran. And the Iran deal says we can't look at military facilities. No, it's written that. No, what we're finding, I think, is how far the Obama administration went, how, how much they leaned to get that Iran deal done. And now more and more is coming out about the price we've paid in seeing Iran move more quickly toward the ability to build a bomb. And this is another one where, you know, we've been kicking the can down the road and President Trump is finding, uh-oh, it's in my lap. Yeah, a lot of Republicans have found themselves in that situation coming after Democrats who have been grossly irresponsible in the Oval Office. Got a lot of, got a lot of cans you have to clean up. If Obama had just gotten off his can and done something to stand in the way, to, to retard North Korea's ambitions for intercontinental ballistic missiles capable of delivering nuclear warheads. If they had actually allowed the sanctions to continue to harm Iran so they could have come to us 
for sanctions relief on their knees, and we could have rid them of their nuclear program in total and insisted they stop being uh, providers of funding for radicalized Islamic fundamentalist terrorists, if only. But we didn't have that kind of occupier of the Oval Office. We had an anti-American occupier of the Oval Office in President Obama, and that's why none of that happened. All right, we'll put a wrap on the show today. Uh, coming up after the break, be right back, folks, on The Blaze. Keep up with The Chris Salcedo Show on Facebook and on Twitter at Chris Salcedo TX. Just another way to stay in touch with Chris on The Blaze Radio Network. This is the Chris Salcedo Show, only on the Blaze Radio Network. Yeah, I mean, I think Jason's point about, about Iran is, is right, and we are hearing some mixed messages from the Trump administration. I think there's a reason for it. The reason is that Iran, as part of this deal, got the goods, got the rewards for the deal early, and now it's about compliance. So if the administration tears up the deal, Iran has already gotten much of what it, it took to get it to sign uh, the, the deal. And yeah, that's uh, Steve Hayes on the Fox News panel talking about this whole idea of, of ripping up the Iranian deal. Uh, Obama made sure that all the goodies for the Ayatollah and the terrorists were, were loaded up front. So they got their cash. They got to keep all of their infrastructure over there. And, and, and the deal was so weak and limp-wristed that it doesn't take much for the Iranians to comply. So they can they can put it they can push it right do all the work they need to do push it right up to the very edge so the minute the deal expires now in you know about eight years a little less than eight years then they'll be ready to go there'll be a nuclear power almost by flipping a switch and that's what that's what Obama planned that's what he made look they've been test firing missiles Obama didn't stop them so. I understand Steve Steve Hayes' point is what good does it do to tear up the deal now? Iran already got everything they wanted. Obama made sure of that. And the United States and, and people who would keep Iran from getting a nuclear weapon now uh, want to test the compliance. But the, the, to, to broaden the, the picture, the administration has also changed the way that it's talking about the threat from Iran. Remember, the Obama administration had this this chosen, this deliberate policy of decoupling the nuclear talks from everything else Iran does. You heard in Rex Tillerson's comments yesterday, uh, you've heard from other people in the administration, that's over. That's not happening anymore. The, the Trump administration is going to take on Iran as a, a threat, looking at the nuclear program, together, looking at yeah. terrorism, looking at what it's doing in the region. Yeah, and that's probably a good idea. I mean, unlike Obama who said, well, I'm a bit clear, it doesn't matter that you're terrorists. I want to give you a whole bunch of money. Bad news. Hey, remember, everybody, society's worth is not measured by how much power is seized by government, but rather how much power is reserved for we, the people. See you tomorrow. The Chris Salcedo Show, part of Generation Blaze, only on the Blaze Radio Network.